Welcome to the Becoming You podcast with your host, Rachel Wood. This podcast is designed to help you step into your greatest self with solo episodes with Rachel and her guests and their stories of becoming. Let's dive in. Hello, 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 my sweet, sweet friends, and welcome back to the Becoming You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, and today I have an incredible guest with us. Her name is Jordan Britley. She is a branding photographer, YouTuber, and also fellow lupus warrior. And today we get to sit down and talk about what it's like to kind of have your life upended and your career having to shift and change after being diagnosed with an autoimmune condition that is truly day-to-day life affecting. This conversation was so wonderful and cathartic for me, and I really hope that it's beneficial for you too. And just not only learning about the struggles that some people with autoimmune diseases face, but also just what it's like to have to go through these massive shifts and your perception of yourself interpersonally and professionally. And I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. So let's get right to it. All right. So Jordan, I'm so, so, so excited that you're here, but we are going to start just with a couple of like icebreaker questions. And these ones are just fun. Let's get to know you a little bit. So first icebreaker question is what show have you been loving or binging lately? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, I've actually been binging. This is so not me. It's like not my favorite show or anything, but Bones. I've been watching it, like just kind of marathoning it. I think because it's so low key, like not a ton of drama. I mean, I, it is a murder show, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It just kind of feels good. Um, my husband and I like to watch The Mentalist Ooh. as well. I've never, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. What's it about? Oh, it's worth it. Um, it's about a a guy who's family was actually killed by a serial killer. And so, um, he uses his skills throughout the series to, um, hunt down this guy. I don't want to give away too much, but yes. Yeah. No. Ooh, that sounds so kind of cool. Yeah. Through detective work, things like that. Oh, I love it. We are super into true crime. And so over yes. the kind of midwinter, late fall, we watched, um, oh gosh, now what's it called? It was like manhunt. And then Mind Hunter. Oh, Manhunt one was about the about the serial bomber, about different like serial bombers, and then um, the Mind Hunter was about the establishment of the term serial killer and how that whole like sector of the FBI came to be. Wow, that's really interesting. interesting. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's super good. I think they're both on Netflix, but yeah, cool. Okay, I love that. All right, so. What would be your last meal on earth? Oh, um, chicken korma. It's an Indian dish and I love it. (sighs) Any Indian dish I would do. (laughs) You are like the first person. Most people are just like pizza, burger, steak. Thank you for being interesting. Thank you for being- Chicken korma. I mean, I would take butter chicken, chicken tiki masala. I love you already. 
I did my teacher training in India years ago and Nuh-uh. yes. And my yoga teacher training. And so I literally am like obsessed with Indian food, but like, obviously where I live in Oregon, there's not a huge like, Indian population here. And so like, it's, you know, you, it's, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to find any decent Indian food versus if you go obviously to India or like the UK or different parts of the U S then you yeah. can some Indian food. But yes, thank you for being interesting. Not yes, to say that like steak isn't no. interesting. But pizza it's, has you know, its place. Yeah. Oh for yeah. Sure. What's your favorite dish? Ooh. Um, the, I like pakora. Pakora is really good just as like a side thing. Um, also chicken tikka masala and butter chicken. Oh. So good. Mm. But I'm trying to remember it's like a spinach dish. It looks disgusting. Because basically it's like pureed spinach. It's, I can't remember what the name of it is, but somebody that's, that's listening to this is going to be like, Oh, it's this thing. It's this thing. But it literally looks like, um, like baby food, but it's so good. So good. Yes. But I think that most Indian food kind of just looks like baby food. I know. It's really spicy. (laughs) And then you try it and then you're addicted forever. Right? Love it. Yes. Yes. It's so good. Okay. (laughs) And then the last one, um, this is kind of tied into your job a little bit, but tell me where is your like dream venue or destination for a job? Oh, maybe London. Really? I think it would be so cool to travel there and work with a brand client. Ooh, that would be super. Yeah. Like do a ton of work. You know, I've actually mapped this out. We could do six months of content in a week, shoot a month of content each day, you know, turn it into a little powwow. I think it would be fun. Oh, I love it. I've never been. I love it. One of my best friends, it, she lives in, she used to live in London. She lives in Birmingham now. And she basically has always worked for companies that do brand pop-up events. It's super interesting. Yeah. I like big companies. She's like, they've done stuff for Ben and Jerry's UK. They've done stuff for like home. She even sent me photos one time of this huge party that a 250 year old law firm was putting on. And they dropped like almost half a million dollars on this party. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it, but just like the branding, the, like all the work that they (laughs) do for these brands is incredible. Whether it's like long-term brand and marketing strategy, or it's like a pop-up event, it's intensive. So mad props to you for that. For Wow. Well, that's an amazing, what an amazing event. I mean, I I would totally photograph. (laughs) Right. It'd be like that. Those are the things that you're like, I would do this job. I mean, sure. Great. Sure. I guess I can. Yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Those were so good. Okay. So now that we've kind of gotten to know a little bit more about your personality, tell us exactly who you are and why you do what you do. Why is it fun for you? Why is it special to you? And then also just kind of give us a snapshot of like truly not just, you know, Jordan, but this person that you've kind of discovered yourself to be. Um, okay, so I'm Jordan Britley, and um, that's my username on Instagram and YouTube and everything. It's actually, Britley's actually my middle name, and I started my business in high school. And I thought it would be weird. I was dating my husband at the time, but I thought it'd be weird to go with Jordan Henson um, since we weren't married. And we were, I was like a senior, you know? And then what I do now is I work with brands uh, to create photo and video content for them on their social media. Um, That's kind of the main place 
where we show up and deliver content. Uh, but it's really fun to see these brands, especially, you know, it can be business owners who are younger, but business owners also who are older, who don't know uh, how to bridge the gap between themselves and these newer generations. Absolutely. It's, I can only imagine what that must be like for somebody that's been in business for probably a million years. And suddenly this crazy thing called social media erupts and like, suddenly everybody has to have it. Otherwise nobody's going to ever find you anywhere. Right. And you're just like, like I've been sending mailers out for the last 30 years. What do you mean? I have to send send to Instagram. Well, and I had that moment too, when reels came out and I love video and I think it's fantastic. But I had this moment where I was like, no, 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 no. Stop changing everything. Like we're just, I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. We can't go changing things. So I, I feel them. I get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know you have a YouTube channel. So how does that, how did you get started doing that? And how does that kind of like tie into you and your, even your just personal brand? Yeah. Okay. So I started um, wedding photography. Uh, I got really serious about it after I graduated college and we moved to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, everybody talks about like the wedding flu and I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm getting like the wedding flu after every wedding. Well, come to find out it was actually an autoimmune flare every time I would shoot a wedding from being in the sun. And so I made this transition at the time I was selling presets, which I'm still selling presets. Hold on. <laughs> well, now I lost my thought. I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. You're totally fine. You were telling me you're, you were doing wedding and yes. then some, yeah. and how did that parlay into eventually starting a YouTube channel? Yeah. Okay. So I was selling presets online and that was kind of taking off and knew I couldn't do both. And since weddings were making me sick, I just decided to switch into the online world. And then, um, after my daughter was born, it was actually the maternity leave with her, um, where I realized, Hey, I love video. I used to do video and I kind of let, uh, some negative feedback on some video work that I did. Um, just like strangers on the internet, keep me from putting out that content. I was like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. So that's kind of how the YouTube thing started. Oh, I love that. Especially considering we all know like YouTube commenters are (laughs) the most, the (laughs) most brutal of like any platform out there. I, I am a firm believer that YouTube commenters are the most brutal because there's like I don't know what it is. It's like, I think so many people use um, YouTube on desktop still. And I feel like that's one of the few social media platforms that are, that people really access heavily on their, on their laptops. Um, Yeah. And for some reason, I don't know if it's like a trick of the eye or what it is, but like people leave way longer comments and like have longer comment threads on YouTube than other social media platforms. Like, am I crazy or is that like a thing? No, it's so true. It's like a whole community. And, you know, talking about, you mentioned personal growth. That's an area where it's been cool to look back and see how much I've grown because all those negative comments crippled me before, you know, they got in my head and then I'm thinking about it over and over again, or something they say, you know, while I'm recording, I'm like, oh, am I doing that thing they mentioned? And, um, you know, through everything that's happened uh, just in the last few years, like, you know, random things that happen to everybody in their lives. We all face um, challenges. I feel like I've stepped into um, 
I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but like more who I'm meant to be. And those things don't feel like they hold as much weight. Um, like I think whenever I know who I, who I really am, then those comments don't change anything. And so I genuinely now, I think they're hysterical. Like one of my favorite comments, <laughs> one of my favorite comments, this dude was like, I could land a plane between your eyebrows. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> you have to be so talented. Like I, I'm nearsighted when I, I could never land a plane. So, it's so that is like the craziest <laughs> comment, but right? also like, I mean, I guess I give the dude props for like some level of creativity, but it's very like abstract creativity. It's just oh, like yes. land and air. I, that makes no sense, but okay. Yeah. Like it's, like you're, it's almost you're a right. compliment. Like, are you saying almost I don't have a unibrow? Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. We work so hard much. to not have unibrows here. <laughs> but like that's hilarious, man. People are so wild. It's, but I would laugh at that you too. Are. I'd be like, I don't even know what this guy needs. <laughs> yes. I want to get a makeup artist to draw a plane on my eyebrows for you too, but no one will do it because everybody's too nice. Of course. Of course. I think that's so true. Like when you are, and and I, I truly see that as a huge sign of personal growth for anybody. It's like, especially when you're putting yourself out there so much, it's like such a huge sign of like, you know, not just like thickened skin, but also just like a better perspective on our lives and our place in the world is like when people say the literally insane things mm-hmm. to us, and then we can just like let it roll off and be like, well, that's yeah. interesting. I don't really care. We're moving on. Like, that's yeah. so awesome. And I know same thing for me. Like it's, you know, it ta- it's taken me years to be like, not overly concerned about what everybody thinks of me. And even at times now, the people that are closest to me, of course, you're the one you're, you care about their opinions more than anybody else. But it's like, truly being able to just brush that stuff off is such a sign of like, yeah, I'm very confident and firm in who I am. So that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It sounds like you've done the same, the same work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough work. It's kind of important if you're going to put yourself out there online and offer it to the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. So I wanted to circle back a little bit. So tell us like what got you started in wedding photography, but then also share a little bit more about when you made that decision to switch out of doing weddings and moving into branding content for different businesses. Wedding photography. There was a class in high school that I really wanted to take. It was digital imaging, but you could only get in if you were a junior or senior. And I was a freshman at the time. So I go to this professor and I'm like, Hey, is there any way, which this is so not like me at the time. Is there any way I can get special treatment and get in your class? (laughs) And he, you know, it was one of those fairs where you go around and select your classes and he looks at my English teacher and he goes, is she good at English? And he's like, oh yeah, she got an A. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. You can be in my class. Like I brought a portfolio of work, you know, that I had taken with my mom's floppy disk camera, that kind of thing. He didn't care. He was like, do you know how to spell? What's the difference between two and two? You know, can you spell the three different types of two? And I was like, oh, this is an easy class to get into. So that's kind of what started it all. And I did it for video. I was really passionate about video. And through that, developed this love for photography. And then in college, um, you know, it wasn't actually majored in computer science and math. And it wasn't, I know, well, actually I studied it. I majored in math, minor in computer science and counseling. Um, so it wasn't until the very end, like the last semester, where I was like, this is a great backup plan, but... 
I want to do this photography thing. You know, I didn't know anything about business. And so we moved to St. Louis and, um, you know, through some really generous friends who sent me referrals, broke into the market there. And it was really fun. Um, so to take that step away, you know, I think it was about five years later, I made the transition away from wedding photography to, to step away was really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time it was simple because I knew it was the next right step. Mm -hmm. Um, even factoring, I mean, whether you're just looking at, at it from a health place or, you know, looking at it from a business place, it, it ended up being a great opportunity um, when it could have felt like, you know, a door was being slammed mm -hmm. in my face. Mm -hmm. So I was actually, so I, you know, I was telling you about like getting sick every time I was in the sun, I would Google my symptoms and lupus would always come up mm -hmm. and I know you're not supposed to do that, but I was like, Oh, I have lupus. And this is how I thought autoimmune diseases worked. I thought, you go to the doctor, they run tons and tons of tests. They say lupus and you go home and you continue your life. And that's mm -hmm. it. I didn't know there was treatment for it. I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I, so I was like, oh, well, I don't want to spend thousands of dollars. I'll self-diagnose, which you sh shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> you, should, you should talk to your doctor. But um, I ended up pushing, she's not my doctor now, but ended up really pushing for um, my ANA to get tested. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she was really against it. She's like, you don't have an autoimmune disease. Um, Which is why so do you think you, it yes, makes me wonder, it like, why would, it's like when it's a, it's a, not that it's a rule out test, but it, it potentially can be. And right. for those that are listening that don't know what an ANA test is, uh, I'm pretty sure it stands for anti-nucleate nucleotide antibody or an anti-nucleated antibody, something along those lines. But it's basically a like door opener type of test for autoimmune conditions. Um, and if you test over a certain threshold, there is a potential that you have an autoimmune disease. It's not always the case, um, but lupus, like so many other conditions, are not in a an open and shut thing in terms of there's not a definitive test that can tell you that you do have this thing or that you don't. Usually it's a combination of test results in um, association with a bunch of clinical symptoms. So just for background for that, for those that don't know, but yeah, it's so interesting to me because I think there's a lot of people with autoimmune conditions that have had that same experience where you're yeah. like, Hey man, I'm trying to tell you that I think that this is what's going on. And the doctor's like, no, like, I don't think so. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And I, so I'm sitting, sitting there telling her all my symptoms and she kept going, we kept going around and around. And finally I was like, I want you to run my ANA. I'm paying for the test. Can you please just run it? And this was after she had run thousands and thousands of dollars trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. You know, they were like, Oh, it's heart failure. No, it's not heart failure. Something with your lungs. Like we really don't, we have no clue. And then they were just going to circle back through the tests again. And I'm like, okay, can we just throw this in? you know, with all the tests and then it came back extremely high. Um, and so I waited to get into the rheumatologist in March and, um, I thought that I, you know, it was right around the time when COVID and everything was starting. And so they had tested me for that it was negative, but I kept having all these symptoms, just thought it was a weird virus that wouldn't go away. And within six weeks, I had shown enough of the, I'm going to say clinical presentation mm -hmm. for her to diagnose me with 
with lupus. Wow. Wow. So how did you feel after, I mean, obviously you'd already been having symptoms for, I'm assuming quite some time at that point, years. And how did it make you feel when they finally like confirmed to you, like, yes, this is what you've got and it matches all the things. How did you feel? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, you like go through the grief cycle. So at first I actually started with being really relieved and affirmed. Like I was like, Oh, that's what I thought, you know, yeah, right? Um, it would have been okay if I was wrong and even good if I was wrong, but okay. I have this, this explanation for why I'm sick. And then since then I've just been going through the grief cycle. So, okay, wait, no, there's no possibility. This can't be lupus. This is a weird virus. I have, maybe I have a weird mono, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. even though I have all of these symptoms, I'm like, well, maybe that's, maybe I have synovitis or arthritis in my wrist from shooting too much or, you know, whatever it is, like making these excuses. And it's just my form of grief. You know, it's something right. that I just have to work through. And lupus is something where it kind of, it rears its ugly head on a daily basis. So you kind of have to confront it every yeah. day. Totally. It's so interesting because I think that, I mean, I know that every single person's experience with lupus is different, but it's at the same time, it's, it's so the same. And it is interesting because I think that lupus is one of those conditions that because it's the, um, kind of master in disguise, mm-hmm. it makes you think that sometimes when you fe- when you're feeling really good, you're like, do I actually like, is this really still a thing? Like I feel pretty good. Like, I'm not sure that this is a thing. And then a couple weeks later, or however long later, and you get a flare and you're like, oh yeah, no, this is definitely a thing. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. It's definitely yes. happening. Oh man. It is so wild. I remember like that huge affirmation of like, finally, I know that I'm not crazy. There, there's just been this thing that's been going on. Haven't been mm-hmm. able to pinpoint it, but have been very like um, called to you know figure it out, sort of thing. And it is yeah. it's so affirming when you finally figure it out. But then that realization of like, oh man, mm-hmm. this is something that I'm likely going to be dealing with the rest of my life. Yeah, it's it's yeah. wild how are you diagnosed? And like, is it in remission or it's not in remission, but I would say it's definitely like an intermittent thing still. So for me, Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed very close to the same time as you. I was diagnosed last March. Mm -hmm. And so I had been experiencing symptoms for what I think now I'd probably been experiencing intermittent symptoms for close to six years. Um, Mm -hmm. But they didn't really get bad until about five years ago and Mm -hmm. started, you know, trying to seek answers doctors just told me I either had just, um, depression or that I was, you know, just experiencing like really bad rashes and dermatitis, um, and Mm. you know, all sorts of crazy things. And they're like, Oh, you just need to like eat more. You just need to exercise less, or you need to do yada, 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 all these things. Mm. And, um, and, like you, same thing. The the symptoms are so like they come and they go. They're not super consistent. Um, mm-hmm. But then as years go by, you do start to identify the patterns. And so same thing went for me where I was not able to clearly identify patterns for like three plus years of pretty intense symptoms. 
And it, coupling that with my clinical data, we weren't able to, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to convince my doctors to run same thing in ANA for three years because my, oh, wow. my lab data didn't show anything Im- impressive enough until they saw that my white count, my neutrophil count specifically was trending downward for three mm-hmm. years in a row. And so then they were like, oh, okay, like we'll, we'll run you for an ANA. And it was like barely over the line, like barely mm-hmm. 14 And they were like, well, like, we'll send you to rheumatology just to rule it out and then go to rheumatology. She looks at all my clinical symptoms. She looks at my labs. She runs an ELISA test and lo and behold, bing, bing, boom. She's like, nope, you totally have lupus. She's like, you caught it really early though, considering the stage of your, of your, you know, clinical presentation. Um, and so then they slapped me on Plaquenil and here we are 300 milligrams a day, every day. (laughs) It's doing good. It's doing, it's it's better. And it's, it was interesting because last fall at the end of the, at the end of the fall, I had the order for my meds hadn't like gotten re-upped through the doctor's office. And so I didn't have my meds for a week. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was impressive. You feel it. You feel it. Yeah. I I was feeling it within 72 hours. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. That's miserable. Yeah. So I totally get where you're coming from. It's just, it's a wild ride. It really is. So Inter- other than having to feel like you needed to take a step away from your job, do you feel it or from that that aspect of like being on every single weekend, basically? I know how wedding photographers are. 50 years, 50 weekends out of the year. <laughs> you know. Do you feel like it was a relief or a loss when you swapped jobs, essentially, even though you're doing so much of this uh, very similar, like technically the work is very similar in terms of the, the tasking, but the way that you're going about doing it is quite different. Did you feel any sort of sense of loss when you, when you switched your, your path or was it something that you felt liberated in doing because you know, it's part of, you know, this kind of path forward for yourself? Yeah, I think there were times where I felt a loss in the past. And there are times I think where I feel that loss now. But I'm like, oh, it would be so fun to go shoot a wedding. And I'm like, you cannot do that. It will be a disaster. I think also though, with my personality personality, once I decide to do something, I'm all in. Like once I make that decision, I'm like, you know, it's like a train. Like nothing's gonna stop me. We're going for this. Um, and so I think. I think that plays a big role into how I grieve and then also plays a role into the problems that I face with lupus because I want to, like, if I set these expectations for myself, I want to hit them. Mm -hmm. And something in my very first appointment, she said, I'm going to give you the advice that I give my lupus patients. You should quit all your volunteer activities. (laughs) You should never have deadlines again. Don't be stressed. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And, and now in hindsight, I can see the wisdom there. That's not totally practical for my job. And I mean, she knew that she knew people can't just do that, but if you could, that would help your disease to eliminate all stress. Um, (laughs) right. It's like that so comical because right. I've been told the same thing so many times. They're like, you need to reduce your stress. You need to reduce your stress. You need to reduce your stress. When I come in and my face looks like a freaking strawberry. And right. I'm like, uh-huh. 
I'm trying. <laughs> Sounds good. And I'm, I'm, if you have more specific advice for what to quit, I that will be, that be take great. that into consideration. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, it's so interesting. Like, I totally, I totally get it. I totally get it. I feel like the same. It, it's so interesting because I think for pretty much anybody that is diagnosed with any sort of like autoimmune condition that really does affect your day to day life. Um, it's not something that you ever like, it's not something you expect to be told, um, right. you know, and, and, and you, it's not something you expect to be told in the first half of your life, especially, you know, it's one thing to be told if you're 80 years old and you're like, Hey, they're like, Hey, you have this disease. It's like, okay, well it's, you know, I'm 80. It's, you know, maybe par for the course, but when you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like barely 30 and here we are. It's, it is, it's very, yeah. very interesting. And it does, I think one of the things that really and for anybody that goes through any sort of major life shift, whether it's health or relational or whatever, it's like that shifting of um, how you see yourself and how you're yeah. kind of making sense of your own life. Um, it definitely makes a big difference. But when you, even with that shift in perspective, it also like, I think for me, it helped me to grow and expand my vision of myself. How oh, do you, how do like you, yeah. I was going to ask you how, like, how did it just did in the that? sense of like, in fact, that I have a body that isn't perfect and that has stuff going on. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, when you're young, you think that your body is, you know, perfect. There's nothing wrong with it in terms of just like health and it can do all of the things. And then you get told that you've got this thing, that there's something wrong with it. And you're just like, Oh, I thought it was fine. And now you're telling me it's not, I'm confused. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't going to go away in a year, like just stick it out. It'll go away in a year, you know, and that adds to the grief that adds to the grief cycle for sure. So what do you feel like, okay, now moving back to you, do you feel like having no, both known, but then experienced the lupus symptoms for several years now, what do you feel like it has taught you? I, Okay. The diagnosis, um, at some point it became really devastating to me. Uh, I was so frustrated by my limitations. I was frustrated that I couldn't play with my kids. Um, it, I was essentially bedridden for a few months, which that has never happened to me in my life. And it was like, I had to start over. I remember pulling into my office. I was like, how am I going? I want to live each day like it counts, but how am I gonna do this? And the thing that came into my head was that I needed uh, to use lupus as my reminder to embrace every day and live the life right in front of me and not take anything for granted anymore. And that sounds so cliche and it sounds, I wanted that before all of this as well, mm -hmm. but whenever everything's going great during the day and then a fever pops up and all these other symptoms pop up, and I have to reshape my day. That's really humbling. Mm -hmm. So to look at myself and say, my life is valuable no matter what I accomplish today. And this day is valuable no matter what happens during the day. And I feel like as weird as it sounds, like it's made me enjoy like the, the season's changing more. It's made me enjoy parts of my kids more um, instead of, 
you know, I've never wanted to wish away my life. And when we all kind of do that in some way, like yeah. standing there in kindergarten, you're like, I can't wait to graduate high school. I, I don't know if anyone else did that. I did that. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to wish my life away, but I think it forces you to say, okay, wait, no, I want today. And I want to embrace today and live out today regardless of what happens. And today matters, even if it's on the surface, a bad day. Um, on the surface, it's a bad day, but today's really a good day. Girl, you're like saying it to the right person. It's like, I, I'm, I'm probably going <laughs> to listen back to this podcast episode on the days when my joints are killing me and I've gotten nothing um, done. And I'm going to be like, I need to hear Jordan's words. She's so right. <laughs> She's so right. Cause it's true. Oh, it's like, so it's hard. so true because it's like, there are days when it you're like, yeah, I literally feel like crap. And if I, you know, had it my way, I probably wouldn't get out of bed today. And, or like you get to three o'clock and you're just like so achy and painful. And you're just like, it's only three o'clock. And I've been just doing stuff around the house and like working at my desk. Like, how is this possible? You know, it, it's, especially when you reflect on the, you know, things that you were once capable of. And I'm sure that that's probably how, you know, anybody who is crippled and is 95, they probably think back to like when they were, you know, young, young bucks and doing all the fun (laughs) running, jumping, all those things. But it's like it, I can totally understand that. And it does, it makes me think that, dang, I need to not ever take these days for granted because we don't know what the future looks like other than trying to take care of ourselves the absolute best that we possibly can. But just that remembrance of giving ourselves grace, even in those tough moments of like, whatever I've gotten done today is enough. Yes. And our worth isn't found there, which is obvious. Yeah. And we can find online or online articles that will tell us that, but to live that out is a whole other ball game. Yes. 100%. Oh, thank you for that. Okay. So what do you feel like has given you the ability to persevere internally, both as a business owner and as somebody with a chronic illness? Like what piece of your personality um, has really been able to help you to push forward? Okay. Well, have you done the Enneagram? Yes. I was actually going to say, I was literally going to say, okay, yeah. What what are you? you? (laughs) What Enneagram are you? I'm a one with like, like probably a three wing. (laughs) Okay. I mean, yeah, that business go getter (laughs) cheaper. I can totally see that. Um, okay. So yeah, I, most people assume I'm a nine, um, but I'm actually an eight. Uh, so, you know, the Enneagram is all about looking at motivations and like, like that deep, Stuff. So I'm an eight wing nine. And I think that like that passion, that zeal for life has been ignited in a very new way. Mm-hmm. Almost like I had suppressed it thinking, hey, the only way to exist in business as a woman is to be a nine, um, which I mean, there are very successful nines, but when you're not being true to yourself, it's, it's off and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so letting almost like becoming a child again, like embracing life, like a child and saying, okay, um, what if I didn't live afraid anymore? Um, and I, I was, I was confronted with this one day and I was like, oh, I'm still living afraid because if I wasn't living afraid, then I would do this today. 
And it was actually, I would get on this podcast with you if I wasn't living afraid today. My husband had been like, email her back, email her back. And I'm like, I'm too sick. I need to wait until I'm well, you know, like I want to bring 100%. And um, I was like, okay, I will do that. And I'm going to get my lights. I'm going to get my smart lights because I've been talking about it for a year in my business. And it's something that I just want to do. And if I only had a day or a week left, I would get smart lights. And I know that's so random, but I drove to Best Buy and I got my smart lights. They even had um, the canvas. Uh, It's like a, a, it lights up and changes colors and it syncs to music. And I walk into my office now, and this is also part of my personality. I've set up all these Alexa routines. So like, she'll make me productive or creative with the lights or, you know, sit there and read with like the ocean breeze and it's all peachy and everything in the room. Um, But like those little things, like I'm, I want to face the fears I didn't know I had Mm -hmm. and the fears where it's like, Oh, I should totally do that. I shouldn't hold myself back anymore, waiting for the perfect time or the perfect situation. Mm -hmm. I should just go for it. Mm -hmm. Even something simple like colorful lights. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. It's, it's so fascinating where it's just like, it does, it just gives you this massively fresh perspective on like, what the heck have I been waiting for? Who cares if it's not perfect? Who cares if it's, you know, not this like ultra curated thing. It's, yes. It just it gets to be what it is. And it, and that gets to be good enough. Oh, so good. So, I don't so know. Good. I don't know if you struggle with this, but with lupus, you know, it can be really debilitating. Yeah. Um, and I hate even using that word. Cause I don't want to think that I'm debilitated. It's that eightness in me. No, nothing can control me. Nothing right. can stop me. Right. But the reality is it does mm-hmm. uh, pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Do you struggle with feeling like you're going to look like a victim when you're just honest on real oh, day? You have no idea. It's like, I hate it because there's just times when either the pain or the fatigue or just the discomfort is so intense and I never want to show weakness. And so yeah. sometimes I hide. Um, I spent a lot of time hiding. And even though I am this person that never, ever wants to show weakness, always wants to be fully capable, the the shame that I felt and at times still feel for not achieving or being all the things that I want to be or all the things that I, you know, had projected myself to be in my mind. Mm. It's, it's devastating. And it is, it feels like it's debilitating in the sense of not just like physically, but also some ways like morale debilitating. Um, So yeah, I totally, totally get that. It just is. And, and that's the part where like the grace comes in and I just have to be so kind to myself, but it is, it's very frustrating yeah, I never want to feel want people to think that I'm like whining because I don't like whiners. I don't I don't have time for it. <laughs> but I yeah, I never want people to perceive me as being whiny and really the only person that I whine that I allow myself to really whine to is like my husband and my mom. Um, <laughs> and otherwise when people ask me generally I'm just like Oh yeah, I'm doing okay. But I've tried to be more honest about it. Honest in a sense of like letting people know where I'm at without sounding like I'm complaining. Um, because I know that people do genuinely want to know how I am. And if I, 
do myself the disservice of lying to people or just like making light of how I really am feeling, um, that doesn't help them help me. And not that people need to help me, but not, it doesn't help them to be able to see where I'm really at. And so even though my instinct is to like hide and never ask for help, um, Mm. when I am feeling like really crummy, um, I'm learning to be better at asking for really what I need. Um, and I think it's, it's actually been really beneficial just because then, then I don't have to have the awkward conversation with somebody of like, why don't you want to come and hang out with us? Like if I can tell them like, Hey, I just don't, I really just don't feel good today. Or like, like, I can't tell you how many times, even in the year of COVID, how many times (laughs) I've been like, you know, asked to go and hang out with like our close friends that are in our bubble. And I'm just like, I just can't tonight, you guys, or I'm just, I'm just not there. And they're just Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's fine. Instead of them being like, but why, you know, so they get it. They're a support. Yeah. I think that is, that can be so challenging. There's actually a book. I love that you do that. That's such a good word. Um, it's, uh, the lupus encyclopedia. I read that. And then also the lupus handbook. Ooh. Also, if you're writing them down, despite lupus as well. Um, but one of the book, one of those first two that I mentioned, they talk about how you, you have to overcome fear or whatever it is that keeps you from communicating what you really need. Mm-hmm. And so that's so amazing that you do that. Yeah. I think it's just like, if I don't, nobody else will. And I've mm-hmm. like, I'll be, I'll be honest. And you look here. fine. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing is like, you can look fine, but even uh-huh. then it's like, I've, I've had days when my face is like out of, out of its mind, like angry and mm-hmm. I'll be like telling, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel good. And they're just like, oh, you look fine to me. And I'm like, are you seeing the same thing on my face that like I'm seeing? Cause <laughs> what I see when I look in the mirror is like, that is how so that good. looks painful. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, yeah. no, you look fine. And I'm like, I look like death warmed over people. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> Would you want this happening to you? Right. Right. Yeah. So no, I totally, I totally get that. That's okay. Good. I totally wrote those books down. That's really good. See, I'm learning so much from you already. Oh my this gosh. That's amazing. Books- well, you know, eights go to five and stress. So I just consumed books and I've reread them. Uh, the nice thing about the lupus encyclopedia, I keep it on my Kindle and then I can search. Oops. I keep it on my Kindle and then I can search. Uh, like if I get results back or something, I can search in the book. Love it's that. Really cool. Love yeah. that. So helpful. Oh, so good. Okay. So next question is if you could tell your past self anything, what would it be? And this could be like your past five-year-old self. This could be your past 18-year-old oh. self. This could be yourself like a year ago. But if you tell your past self anything, what would you say? Just one thing or can I do like a sure, montage? We can do, we can do okay. a montage. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to do a montage. I would tell myself that you should love people and love them big and don't be afraid. Um, don't be afraid to like love them unconditionally. Love them no matter what is given back, um, and to hope, to expect good things, even when things aren't good. And I would tell myself, I would definitely tell myself to count every day, to not wish away kindergarten, first grade, and everything until you get to your senior year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would also tell myself that it doesn't make you bad when you face opposition. I think there was a belief that I had that if 
somebody didn't like me online or anywhere, um, or if things didn't go well or the way I had planned, then somehow that was a massive failure on my part and I was bad for it, Mm -hmm. which is just shame. Mm -hmm. And I would, if I could give myself a gift at five years old, I would rid myself of shame. You know, I would do that. I would rid myself of shame now. Um, But I definitely feel like I'm further. I understand, you know, when it's shame and when it's, oh, hey, you just need to change something. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm like a thousand percent right there with you, sister. That's like the, the one, I would say like one of the emotions in the human experience that is just genuinely like, Mm. it's, it's overrated. Shame is just overrated. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And we don't like to call it what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's Brene Brown talks about how her little girl, um, someone said, oh, hey, you're a mess because she had made a mess. And she said, no, I'm not a mess. I'm just messy. Mm -hmm. Like I just made a mess or something like that. And I was like, that is a great illustration of what shame is. Like taking that identity on yourself, Mm -hmm. Um, which like with lupus, like I like um, I talk about it a little bit online mm-hmm. and I'm still trying to figure that out um, because I don't want to come off like a victim, but I want to be honest about it. And I think there are a lot of people who deal with chronic illnesses. What are your hopes and plans for the future for yourself in all of the ways? One of my most immediate goals is to eliminate stress and do a better job at managing it. Because I let it get on me. Uh, like I, I'm really passionate about what I do and I love making content for my own brand and that can get in the way of my health sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I need to, you know, figure out some systems and I know outsourcing, I know that there are a lot of options, um, but you know, they, they're not necessarily a good fit for me right now. Like managing a team that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think to manage my stress better, have great stress coping, whatever, um, to get off prednisone. That is my goal. Um, great goal. They put me on Finlista right away. And then I have been on prednisone for almost, yeah, for what, 10 months. Um, and we just added, um, it's like a chemo. It's like one of those, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so my goal is to get off prednisone. I can get rid of my moon face. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest thing for me is that I want to raise my kids, um, where they know how loved they are and they have, I want them to have wonderful memories. Um, I want to like really teach them about life. Like I want to be an influence on them. Like they are, yeah, you know, they've been given to me and I want to do that well. Mm, I love that. That's so good. It's what about such, you? What is your? Oh my gosh! I love. Oh, sorry. I love that you're like interviewing me too. It's so good. I'm so um, curious. <laughs> I think. Well, so like my big goals are, and it's been an interesting journey for me because I used to be a nurse, and so I was, you know, on this medical track, and then I decided it was like way, way, way too stressful for me, and just really not something that spoke to my soul. And this does. The painting does, and it kind of always has. Um, and so my goals around that are just to keep doing it kind of regardless of what happens with it. Um, but then also 
Stephen is really with his technical expertise and then my, you know, assist coming in with the assist to do design stuff, him and I are building an art scanner and his eventual goal is to build a film scanner. Um, oh my gosh. So because Fuji doesn't make them anymore. Um, and, and, Nur- and I don't think Nuritsu makes uh, new scanners anymore either. And so his eventual goal is to build a new film scanner. Um, That's so cool. Even, even if it's truly just for the novelty of it. But, um, and, and our hope is to be able to, you know, either sell the machines as units, you know, offer the service of scanning of film or of artwork. Ours, our current art scanner is out in our garage and he's still working on like camera calibration and, and vignette calibration and all that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting. I know, I know nothing. Wow. He like, he can describe these things wow. to me, but then at there are certain points and I'm like, mm, that is 100% <laughs> like a math problem that I'm just like, nope. I don't know how to solve that one, but it's cool to be able to like work with him to, on the design of that and how it's going to all kind of come together and eventually maybe turn it into a business. And so that's, but with, yeah, it's really fun. That's really impressive. (laughs) I'm mostly just very impressed right now. (laughs) I'm mostly just like deeply impressed with him. That's so cool. Are you guys documenting it? Like just to insert this, where I should film it even on a phone or whatever. I've taken like little snippets here and there, um, but I'm probably going to actually do like a full like intro video to it when we actually have it done because the way that it's, the way that it's been done in the past, it's, it, it's interesting. It's a funky machine. It's basically like a, um, it's kind of like a film scanner, but it's, and it's using very similar technology as a film scanner. Um, it's using a sensor and a very special camera and very specific lighting. Um, but then, and like all of the same calibration has to occur um, on the camera internally and with the software. Um, but instead of photographing this little tiny negative, you're photographing um, this big piece of artwork and you're taking lots and lots and lots of pictures, pictures and then you stitch the photos together. Um, and the camera moves based on where you tell it to move. So it's on this like big kind of boxy looking thing and you have to program it in where you want it to move. And so it's, it's a really cool machine because otherwise previous to that photo vision, um, this is just like a sidebar thing, but PhotoVision before they were a company that processed ProFilm, um, which is something they'd always done anyways, but before they almost exclusively processed ProFilm, they just did consumer film forever. They were just like anybody else that was a one hour photo lab. And they did all sorts of other like random in-person services. Like there were times when Stephen was in his early twenties. And even after I had met him, that he would spend like six hours working on like a $50 Photoshop job. It was so crazy. Oh my gosh. So they would get like photo restoration stuff in all the time. They would taking passport photos. They were doing like VHS to DVD conversions. They did like all the stuff. And one of the things, yeah. And one of the things that they did was art reproduction um and so they didn't do like you know print to you know art print to canvas in like a really technical way they didn't do like texturing or anything like that um they did canvas prints for a long time but um they really did do all of the like photo capturing the photo rendering of these works and i watched Stephen do it to the first painting like in the, the old way that he did it Ooh, that is a like manual labor sweat job. (laughs) (laughs) It is hard. It's really hard and it's not technical. I mean, it is technical, but it's like, 
it's, there was no great process designed to it. It's like somebody just slapped it together and then they call it an industry standard and it's not a good one. <laughs> and so they like, he'd done it's it the way cool. that so many other people had done it. And so he was just like, there's a better way to do this. I know how to build a yeah. scanner. I'm going to do it. And so he was just like, and I didn't want to take it to somebody that, you know, I was going to have to haul all these huge canvases across town. And, you know, <laughs> when I was like, I feel like, you know, how to, you already know how to do all this stuff but you guys That's don't do me. it at photovision anymore can you like build me this thing and he's like yeah let's do it and so it's been just this wild interesting ride so we're just like hoping that we can you know figure out how to make this work but then also kind of make steven's big dreams come true of really mm-hmm. um focusing continuing on the the film industry but then servicing it in a way that it can gets to continue to be better and to um mm-hmm. actually have the services it needs to be great um, because even right now there's tons of like film scanners there at the, you know, that are being retired across the Costco's of the world and across the, the Walmart's of the world. But in terms of new film scanning technology, um, there's nothing out there. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that can be like groundbreaking what you guys create. What we'll he... see. We'll see. We don't know. <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> I'll be yeah. watching. Yes. Very closely. But you're, but what you said though, yes, we'll totally be documenting it and just trying to, um, share other people, share with other people kind of what the story is and really share not just like my input with it, but kind of Steven's journey and how he's, um, gone through this experience of shifting, doing that another kind of monumental shift of photo vision. Cause it originally started as a camera shop. His grandma opened it in the fifties. Oh my, that's amazing. So, yeah. What a story. Yeah, it's a cool one. So anyway, so yeah, that's our hopes and dreams. Okay, okay, okay. Last question. I, was, I love how you keep asking me questions, but I'm like... You're a very oh. interesting person. <laughs> well, thank you. So are you. Okay, so now this is the last thing and it's super easy. Tell us, tell the people, where can they find you so they can follow your incredible work so that these businesses that are 100% listening to this podcast, so they can find you and hire you for content marketing and also, what's your YouTube? Tell us again your Instagram, all the things. Where can we find you? Yay. Okay, so you can find me on Instagram at Jordan Britley. It's like Brittany, but with an L, B-R-I-T-T-L-E-Y. And then you can find me on Instagram there, TikTok, um, YouTube. My website's jordanbritley.com. I mean, I'm, I post the most content on Instagram and YouTube. Um, so yeah, come hang out. Oh. We'll talk about photography and... All that kind of fun stuff, marketing, social media tips. Yes, yes. And I will definitely throw the plug out there for anybody that has a, whether they're like an independent entrepreneur or they've got any sort of, you know, any business that could use branding, it is 1000% worth it to hire somebody to do your marketing content for you. Because here's the thing, and I'll tell you why. If you're a business that's already been in existence or you're just somebody that knows nothing about online marketing, especially whether it's photo or photo, photo or video or anything like that, the experience that your customers get starts online and then it wraps up when they actually come to utilize your service. And so you can make such an incredible impression with somebody right off the bat that draws them in and also just to help them help kind of create the story of what it is that your company is doing or what your business is offering. So like 
Talk to Jordan. She'll help you. She'll make your... I, I got you. People want to be entertained, so we might as well entertain them. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm such a big believer in that, especially for, like, just because people really fe- do feast with their eyes. And so it's like, mm-hmm. even if you can just set them up right off the bat with this impression of, like, ooh, this is a cool thing that I need to have in my life, or this is an awesome thing yes. that I need to have in my community, or, like, ooh, I really, really, really want this thing, whatever it is, like start do yourself the favor of getting a good content marketer somebody that knows what they're doing in to help you out and service your business girl you're amazing yeah Yeah. you could you could just write the copy (laughs) (laughs) i mean really (laughs) well you know you know (laughs) anyways thank you so much for coming on to the podcast this was such an incredible thank you so much for having me incredible conversation i feel like we could literally talk about this stuff for hours but i just want all the listeners to know that they are not alone in whatever struggles that they are facing and that the biggest thing that i'm taking away from everything that you said was just that piece of really knowing that every day is gets to be like a good day if you want it to be every day gets to be a worthwhile day no matter what you accomplish I have to like tell myself Mm -hmm. that a thousand times over but that's like the golden nugget so thank you so much for sharing that piece with us and sharing your journey thank you so much for having me on your wonderful podcast I really enjoyed going back through and listening to your podcast I'm so glad that's so awesome oh this was amazing thank you thank you thank you Jordan All right. And that is our show. Thank you so much again for joining us. All the information to find Jordan, to potentially work with her or to just follow her on Instagram and on social media is in the description box below. I am truly so excited because all the things that I discussed with her towards the end of this episode, we're going to get into a bit more detail because I am super excited to share that I'm going to be having Steven come on the podcast in just a couple of weeks. Um, We are going to talk about resilience and dealing with change massive, massive change. Um, I'm truly so pumped for that episode. You guys are going to love it. And I really would love feedback on these episodes, whether you want to leave me a review, if you want to send me an email, send me a message, anything like that. I have been so thankful and grateful to be able to create this podcast for you guys. Um, and I think that so many of these stories, whether it's you know, the solo episodes that I do or the people that I interview, it, this tr- podcast is truly all about just focusing on becoming a better version of yourself and taking what is applicable to you, leaving the rest and truly just focusing on becoming a better version of yourself. I think that one of the things I really kind of struggled to wrap my brain around was that idea of like, what does it mean to become a better version of myself? Um, And what I find fascinating is that it's almost like we continue to peel back these layers of who we think we are and refine our understanding of ourselves, but also allow that refinement to expand us and grow us as people. So my, my understanding of myself is something that is always changing. It's never stagnant, but it becomes more and more clear all the time. So I really hope these episodes have been able to help you do that or help you in that pursuit. Um, but I'm just sending you guys so much love this week and I hope that you have a fantastic weekend. If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, 
we'll keep our fingers crossed that we're not heading for snowpocalypse here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but otherwise, whatever you're doing, have a great weekend. I'm sending you all the love in the world. I'll talk to you soon and I'll see you next week. Bye.